Well, that's exciting. I love getting to hear about the way God changes lives, and in particular through fall retreat. Um, I, I'm not going to lie, the video that we watched a few minutes ago, the last couple of days, uh, we've been putting it on our website and trying to get information about fall retreat up to date, and I think I've watched it 15 times, and I'm not exaggerating, um, just because I'm so looking forward to some of those activities, some of the fun things that we're going to do, and getting to be together for the weekend. So it's going to be a blast. I hope you'll join us. Uh, $40 is a steal for two nights and uh, four or five meals, I think, and so it's it's going to be a great time. So I, I hope you'll join us. And registration's open, uh, crew at ou.org. So hope you'll be there. But um, tonight, we are continuing in a series that we've been calling More Than. And we've been looking at the ways that Jesus is more than we often think that he is. And so Jared introduced me. My name's Chad Helmer. And a few weeks ago, I stood up here uh, and introduced to you many of our staff. But I didn't have an opportunity that night to introduce to you my favorite staff person. And you're not supposed to have favorites, but I really wanted to introduce you to my wife a couple weeks ago. So I've got a photo of us up here. And so this was us this summer. We were doing some hiking out in Colorado. We were out there for a conference. And some things you need to know about my wife. A couple things. One, she's beautiful. She's fun to be around. Uh, She's really smart for those of you who have graduated, uh, those those of you who are a part of the Scripps School of Journalism. We know who you are. Um, But Christy graduated with 3.9 from the Scripps School of Journalism. I always like to point that out to her. Um, And she loves to travel um, at an exhausting rate, actually. And so so you can ask her on any given day either what her last vacation was or what the one is that she's planning now, and she'll have an answer for you. So, um, but the thing that you really need to know about my wife, one of the things that, one of the things that makes her tick, that, that any given day she's also thinking about this, is she's the kind of person that loves to get a good deal. Where, where are my deal hunters in the room? People that just like, okay, yes, exactly. Christy, she cuts coupons. She hunts for deals online. Um, her favorite holiday of the year. That's right. That's right. So, so what's the worst thing that can happen to somebody who loves getting a good deal? It's getting ripped off. So, uh, so not so long ago, I asked her, I said, Christy, can you remember a time when we got ripped off? She's like, are you kidding me? And she went on this list. In 2007, remember we had the timing belt changed on our car? They charged us way too much for that. Then she cited some meal that we had on vacation one time. She said, we overpaid. They wouldn't even let us drink our own water. They made us buy water. That was terrible. Um, 2012, she bought this uh, kitchen gadget that was just a, just a piece of junk. Didn't work out. And so she just ran on this list, right? Because nobody, nobody, likes to get, uh, nobody likes to get ripped off. And what we want is a good deal. And I share that with you tonight because tonight we're going we're gonna to look at a passages of Scripture where Jesus is inviting you and me to get in on a deal. And for some of you, I'm going to be honest, that I, I realize right up front the deal may look like a ripoff to you, but what we're going to see tonight in this passage is that Jesus invites us to participate in what is honestly the greatest deal that you or I could imagine. And what we're going to find is that Jesus is more than just some accessory to our life. He's more than some add-on. So if you brought your Bibles tonight, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to have it up here on the screen for us. It's incredible. We're just going to look at one verse tonight. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. 
And this is one of Jesus' parables. It's one of the shortest parables that he tells. And it's, it really accentuates the, the way that Jesus was a master teacher, an incredible teacher. Because although your English translations turn this into two sentences, in Greek it runs as one sentence, in the original Greek, and it's 31 short words. It's one 31-word sentence, and in it, Jesus has the ability to tell a story that is both elegant and incredibly powerful. So let me pray for our time together, and then we're going to unpack these, uh, this, this one verse together. So let's pray. Father, we come to you in faith tonight and open your word because we believe that you speak to us through it. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us as we think about and reflect on your son Jesus and the gift and treasure that he is to us. I pray that you would do something in our hearts tonight that would move us to want to surrender more of who we are to you. And so, Father, I pray that by your spirit you would bless and use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to do three things tonight looking at this passage. The first thing we've got to do is we've got to understand some of the details going on. There's some cultural things, some historical things that we need to understand. Then we're going to look at the meaning of this verse. Try to understand what, it, what principles it is that Jesus is trying to teach us. And then the last thing we're going to do is talk about how we should respond to it. Okay? So let's talk about the details for a minute. Because this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and, and uh, Mark and John use the language, of the, Mark and Luke use the language of kingdom of God, but the kingdom of heaven, and to understand most of Jesus' parables, you have to understand the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. So, let me just cut to the chase and give you a definition. Something short and simple. This is the sort of thing, if you were to write it in the margin of your Bible, it will help you when you were 80 years old, okay? The kingdom of heaven is God's rule and God's reign, God's rule in his reign. And the way to think about it is this, that kings have kingdoms. And God is the king of heaven and earth. He's the king of all that is. And his kingdom is everything that he reigns over or rules over. Everything that submits itself to God's rulership, God's, God's reign, that is God's kingdom. All of it. And what this parable says is that God's kingdom the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, in the first century in Jesus' day, there's nothing exactly analogous to our modern day bank, okay? There's, there wasn't exactly something where you could take your most valuable possessions, walk it down, hand it to someone over a counter, and expect to get it back someday with full confidence, all right, if there was no FDIC insured, there was, you, uh, you had to figure out what to do with your most valuable possessions. And so war was common, invasion was common, theft was normal. And so what did you do if you had something really valuable? You had to hide it. And that's exactly what this parable is talking about. It's a treasure buried or hidden in a field. And actually, we have non-biblical, sort of extra-biblical sources that tell us stories about poor people finding treasure in a field. It's like the first century equivalent of hitting the lottery, okay? So, um, but so people would bury their treasure. At least some people would. And so this treasure, one of the things that becomes clear in this passage is that this treasure must be something of extraordinary value. 
incredible value. Okay, this is like finding a winning lottery ticket. This would be like getting in on the uh, Apple IPO in 1980 and owning Apple stock today, okay? This is like finding out that your great-great-grandfather's name was Rockefeller and you are the last surviving heir to the estate, okay? This is a lot of cash that we're talking about here. It's something of extraordinary value. And what the parable does is Jesus says this guy found, uh, found a treasure buried in a field It says, which the man found and then covered back up. And so we could probably imagine, just like in Jesus' other parables, the picture of a day laborer, somebody who would be working in the field just for the day, getting paid a day's wage to go and do some work in the field. He stumbles across this treasure that's buried in the field, and what becomes clear is that he's committed to acquiring it legally. He could just take it, right? But he's committed to acquiring it legally, so he reburies the treasure. Can you imagine? I would have a backhoe, okay? And I would dig a hole so deep that no one else would find this thing. So he buries this thing, surely better than how he found it. And then what does he do? It says, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the whole field so that he can possess the treasure. So imagine what he does. So he goes skipping home, he gathers up all that he owns, and he starts hawking it left and right on Facebook, on on, on Craigslist, on eBay. He's managing auctions. He's taking family heirlooms to the pawn shop. He's selling off everything that he's got so that he can get every, every penny. He's liquidating all of his assets. And then what does he do? He takes every penny that he's got, he walks down to the owner of the field, and he buys the whole field. Okay, so hopefully that, give, that, that paints a picture of what we're looking at here. So, so now you've got a little more context for what's going on. But the question is, what is Jesus trying to do by telling us this story? What is it that he's trying to teach? Three things, three things that we can get from this parable. And the first is this, that the kingdom of heaven, God's rule and God's reign is way more valuable than we think it is. It's way more valuable than we think it is. What's it worth? What's the kingdom of heaven worth to you? Think about what the value of Jesus' rule over your life is. And the way I like to think about this is I think you've got some options. The way you think about Jesus' rule over your life. Maybe, um, so I have a couple of examples for you. Um, Maybe it's like this. This is a magnet that hangs on my refrigerator at home. And... uh, and Christy and I bought it when we were hiking in Colorado. This was a number of years ago. Uh, the back of it says we paid $2.99, which means we got ripped off again. Um, but, uh, but think about a cheap souvenir for a second. What is it? It's, it's something cheap and unimportant that reminds you of something that you once did, some experience you once had. And maybe when you think about your relationship with Jesus, maybe you feel like, It's sort of like that. It's a memory of something that used to be special to you, maybe some mission trip you went on, maybe some emotional experience you once had. Um, But but really, it's not of extraordinary value to you now. So that's one possibility. Um, Here's another another possibility. Um, Does anybody know what this is? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, I cannot tell you how long I waited in line 
to buy this, okay? I got this as a Christmas gift for Christy in 2005. Well, yeah, I think, it was, I think it was the Christmas of 2005. And this was a hot commodity, okay? So hundreds and hundreds of dollars um, spent on this. And do you know where it sits now? I don't think it turns on anymore. It lays in a bin with a bunch of other technological garbage that I can't bring myself to part with because I paid too much for it. But is of no value to me now, right? So think about this for a second. Maybe your relationship with God, maybe it feels a little bit like um, the fifth gen iPod, okay? Uh, this, I mean, legitimately, this was a Christmas gift that used to have value that I skipped home, you know, from, the, from Walmart when I bought this. Um, so excited to have gotten this for Christy. But, but it's not of much value to me now. It once was valuable, but it's lost its value. So those are a couple of options. Maybe a cheap, cheap souvenir, maybe a Christmas gift that's lost its value. Um, here's a third option. Do you think about your relationship with God as something of invaluable worth? Something so overwhelmingly valuable that it's hard to put a price on it. It's something that you would just marvel at its beauty. Something a little bit more like this. And I'm I'm shaking a little bit because I can't believe she's letting me hold it. Um, this is my wife's diamond engagement ring and diamond wedding band, okay? Now, let me tell you about this for a second. Sometimes, I'm not going to tell you what I paid for it, um, <laughs> but, but sometimes I catch my wife in the kitchen just kind of staring at it just admiring its beauty. Whenever we go to the mall, especially because it's a good deal, she hops into the jeweler and has them clean it for free so that it sparkles like the day that I gave it to her. It's, it's, it's far more valuable than the price I paid for it. It's far more meaningful and it's the kind of thing that she sits and stares at and thinks about. It's the, kind of thing that's, it's the kind of thing that you just can't part with, that you'd stare at daily, that you'd think about how much it means to you. And the hope is that when you think about the kingdom of God, it feels a little bit more like this. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get rid of this so that I don't get in trouble. Um, <laughs> and um, it feels far more safe on her finger. So... Um, but think about that. Let me ask you some questions. Think about this. Do you know and think about the greatness of the one who would die for you? Do you ever experience overwhelming joy of having Jesus as Lord of your life? Do you ever just sit and marvel at the love that God has for you, that he would give his one and only son up to death so that you might be his? Do you ever just marvel at that? And think about it. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, he's thinking about his life and he says he counts everything as a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of just knowing Jesus. Do you know the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? Is he your dearest possession? Is he your closest friend and confidant? Or is he just an accessory? Because the reality is Jesus is more than an accessory. I want to tell you a story. There's a book by a guy named Donald Miller. The book's not terribly important, but toward the end of the book, he tells a short story, 
And I want to read it to you because he tells a story about a friend of his named Alan. And Alan was doing some research and Alan, is, Alan goes off and he's meeting and talking with different church leaders and leaders of different ministries. And he actually ends up meeting up with Bill Bright, who's the founder of Crew. And so I want to read you this brief story. So this is, this is from the book. He says, a guy I know named Alan went around the country asking ministry leaders questions. He went to successful churches and asked the pastors what they were doing, why what they were doing was working. It all sounded very boring, he says, except for one visit he made to a man named Bill Bright, president of a big ministry. Alan said he was a big man full of life who listened without shifting his eyes. Alan asked a few questions. I don't know what they were. But as a final question, he asked Dr. Bright what Jesus meant to him. Alan said Dr. Bright could not answer the question. He said Dr. Bright just started to cry. He sat there in his big chair behind his big desk and wept. Friends, what is Jesus worth to you? Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, when a man finds Christ, I cannot tell you how much he values him. But this I know, the entire world besides seems nothing to a Christian when he has once found his Lord and Master. Oh, what a Christ I have, he says, but he cannot tell how dear, how inconceivably precious the Christ of God is to his soul. What is the kingdom of heaven worth to you? What does Jesus' rule and reign in your life really mean to you? Because if it's like an old souvenir or a Christmas gift that's lost its value, the next point is not going to make any sense at all. I realize I shorted you the first point, but the second point, it won't make any sense. Because the second point is that the kingdom of heaven requires all that you have. If the kingdom of heaven is really like buried treasure, what are you willing to pay for it? And now I want to be really clear. We're not talking about real money here, okay? I'm not talking about um, the sale of indulgences like was practiced in the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, no longer. Um, Or like the practice of simony, another practice throughout church history of buying sort of status in heaven, which you can't do. I'm not talking about that. Here's what I'm asking. What would you be willing to give to let Jesus reign in your life? How high of a price would you be willing to pay? What's it worth to you? Because here's our problem, friends. You and me, we have the same problem. And that's that we're delusional. We're absolutely delusional because we're far too often willing to pay a whole lot of money or time or energy for a whole lot of things that aren't worth it. Isn't that true? Think about it. We're willing to pay a whole lot of money or time or energy for things that really are not worth it. I, this, this might actually be a, uh, a worthwhile detour to talk about the four-digit price tag of the new iPhone, but I'll, we, won't, we won't go there. Let me give you an even worse example. Um, there's a band... It's probably a little bit before your time called Five for Fighting. Maybe you've heard, from, heard of them. Um, but they have one song that I have just been um, fascinated by for a long time. And so I want to share with you the lyrics of this song from Five for Fighting. Um, it goes like this. And I want to point out that it's, uh, you'll see that it's a song, but it's really a prayer. So it goes like this, the first verse. He says, my shirt, my hat, my books, a trip to the zoo, my couch, remote, a large Coke, yeah. 
I'd get on my knees, my God, if I could be like you. I would give anything, 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 anything I would give to be you. Now, the second verse gets a little louder, a little faster, a little more intense, and he says, my job, my car, my cash, my house on the hill, my piano, I'd burn to ashes, yeah. I'd get on my knees, my God, if I could be like you. I would give anything, 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 anything I would give to be you. And now the last verse, he's screaming. Um, The recording is such that it's made to sound artificially as though your speakers are cracking. The intensity is so loud. And he says, my voice, my worm, my wife, a firstborn or two. I'd give the knife, my mic, if just cut me at the knees, my God, my Jordan. I would give anything eight times I would give to be you. Do you know what the song's about? I'll give you a hint. He'd give all of that to play basketball like Michael Jordan, who's actually the God to whom he's praying. (laughs) Okay? Now, that to me is a fascinating picture of what it looks like to give everything, but for something that's obviously not worth it. Here's the deal, friends. All economies function on the principle of perceived value. Something is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Have you ever experienced buyer's regret before? That sinking feeling that you got ripped off, that what you bought wasn't really worth what you paid? We know it's the full-time job of professional marketers to help, us, uh, help convince us that things are worth far more than they actually are. Ladies, right, there's this feeling that, you know, if I have those jeans, then guys will really think I'm attractive. Boom, $120 out the window. There's that thought, guys, that if I drink that beverage, then I'll walk around with women on both arms at the same time. Eight dollars for a drink to hydrate yourself. Um, (laughs) There's the thought that, well, if I drive a Lincoln, then I will be as cool and sleek as Matthew McConaughey in that really creepy commercial. Um, (laughs) Right. And so, so this is obviously not worth it, right? Obviously not true. But we believe it anyways. Think about some more serious things. If I just have a college education, then I'll be set for life. Boom, $90,000. Maybe it's 100 or 110. I don't know what you pay now. But, um, or, the, or the other thought, if I just get a good GPA, then I will land an awesome job 6,500 hours of college later. Is it worth it? You see, powerful marketers have convinced us that we should pay an awful lot for a whole lot of things that may or may not be worth it things that will inevitably disappoint, and we're lied to all of the time. But here's why I bring this up. Here's why I bring this up. Because what you have in this verse is the most honest, most understated marketing campaign you've ever heard. Because in 31 words, in one sentence, Jesus Jesus doesn't try to argue or persuade. He's not like an overbearing salesman trying to to make you you convinced that you need something that you don't think you want. There aren't any flashy images of Jesus in this verse with women on both arms. There's no rap video of Jesus burning Benjamins, right? Okay, this is, this is the most understated, the most understated, simple, calm appeal. Here's what Jesus says. My rule in your life, the kingdom of heaven, the price tag 
is all that you have and all that you are. He's the most honest person to ever walk the planet, okay? And he says, letting God rule over every area of your life, experiencing the kingdom of heaven in your life, is worth everything you have. It's more than an accessory. And the reason is because all that you have, all that you are, is such a small price tag. It's an incredible deal, an extraordinarily cheap price. Not only is the kingdom of heaven far more valuable than we think it is, but the kingdom of heaven requires all that you have. And the reason is because the kingdom of heaven is an absolutely incredible deal. Okay? What Jesus is talking about makes Black Friday look like a ripoff. 60-inch 4K TV for $50, you got taken. Okay? Mercedes-Benz for $500, you got ripped off. Giving your firstborn child to play basketball like MJ, obviously a ripoff. Okay? This is a deal, if there ever was one. There's no buyer's regret with Jesus. Not here. The value is so great that the price tag seems minuscule. He says, all that you have, all that you are, that's nothing. Jesus doesn't have to arm twist or persuade because the logic is simple. The product is so overwhelmingly worth the price. You'd be a fool not to get in on this deal. And so I want to tell you, friends, give Jesus rule over every area of your life because it's absolutely worth it. Give him rule over every area of your life. It's, it's more worth it than you can even imagine, okay? And so to close, I want to talk about three ways that we can respond. How do we apply what Jesus is talking about here? And the first thing is this, okay, is that if the kingdom of heaven is more valuable than we can even imagine, then we probably need to sit and do some time just marveling at it, just reflecting on it and staring at it. Do you ever just sit and reflect on the goodness and the greatness and the glory of Jesus? Do you carve time out of your schedule to do that? Have you ever been moved to tears by what he's done for you like Bill Bright was? I want to tell you it's a worthwhile exercise sometime this week. Sit down with a pen and paper somewhere alone where you're not going to be distracted and see how long of an answer you can write to this question. What do you love about Jesus? What makes him so incredible? It's helpful sometimes to sit and write it out, to just think and reflect on how incredible he is. Like a sparkling, beautiful engagement ring. We need to gaze at Jesus every day and remember how valuable he is to us, what he means to us, okay? Second, if the kingdom of heaven requires all that I have, then I probably need to sit and think about what I need to give. Because the reality is we all have some things that we probably need to give over to God's rule and reign in our lives. So let me talk to a couple of different groups in the room, okay? If you, first of all, if you're new in your faith or uh, maybe you're just beginning to sort of explore who Jesus is, um, one area that you might need to give over are some maybe, maybe some uninformed ideas about who Jesus is and what God is like. And a few weeks ago, my friend Nick talked about moralistic therapeutic deism, and he did a great job unpacking that. But the the long story short, without having to talk about that, is that um, a lot of us carry around wrong ideas about who God is and what he's like. And maybe what you need to do is get involved in a community group to begin studying the Bible in community 
where you can begin to understand what God is really like and how he's revealed himself to us. Some of you, maybe if you've been following Jesus for a while, maybe one of the things that you need to get rid of and hand over to God's rule and reign is maybe your own self-righteousness or your own pride. And the truth is, is if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, I don't have anything left to give over to Jesus and his rule and reign, um, that's a good indication that this is something you probably need to give over to him, okay? Some of you are here tonight, and I would say a fair number of you tonight, and this is just based, I don't have some special insight, but just based on probability. There's a fair number of you here tonight who are living a double life, who come here on Thursdays or maybe go to community group during the week, but then you spend your weekend chasing after sex or a buzz or some other kind of indulgence. And one of the things that this passage reminds us is that the choice is always between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. And Jesus tells us elsewhere that you can only have one master. You can't serve two masters. If you want to be serious about following Jesus, maybe there are some people here that say, I want to take the next step and, be more, and take my relationship with God more seriously. One of the things that you may need to give up and surrender to his rule and reign is your own esteem and acceptance from others. Because if I'm really serious about following Jesus, it means I'm probably going to get the cold shoulder from some people who aren't. And the truth is, is if you follow Jesus for very long, the reality is they're gonna, you're going to run into other people who don't think that's so cool. Um, we all have people in our lives who uh, their respect we would never want to lose. And it means that maybe following Jesus rules out particular career choices or career paths for us. But it means that I'm not always going to be accepted by others. Letting God rule and run my life means not letting some other people rule and run my life. Okay, <clears throat> now, from looking around, I can tell from some of you, um, maybe the price tag feels like too much. And I can, tell, I can tell that it looks like Jesus is asking too much of you. And the truth is, if you don't want the treasure, that's fair enough. There are plenty of other people who will buy the field. Again, Jesus isn't some arm-twisting salesman, and I don't want to be either. But the passage one of the things I find fascinating about this passage is that it, it really makes clear that it's your loss. It's really to your benefit to take the treasure, to give all that you have, to give Jesus rule and control over your life. And so what that means, friends, is that if the kingdom of heaven is a great deal, it means, it means we should sell all that we have and buy the field, okay? Metaphorically, buy the field. Don't wait, it's not, you know, there's no deliberation in the passage. I find it fascinating that he just runs off and sells all that he has. There's, there, he's not, there's not waiting to read more customer reviews, okay? This isn't a sad decision that's made in the passage and it shouldn't be for us either. It's a happy, joyful decision and, it, and it's because if you really knew the value of the kingdom of heaven, you'd sing and smile while selling everything that you have to get it. It's not a decision that should be made with fear because the decision's actually for our own good. What's gained is so much greater than what you give. Think about it. To have Jesus rule and reign supreme over your life. Who could run your life better? Who could... Who would be wiser, smarter, more honest? Who, who could run your life better than Jesus could? And lastly, this is a decision 
that you don't look back on. The decision is final. The man who bought the field would never work another day in his life. You can be sure he never found himself sitting around going, gee, I wish I was poor, still having to go work as a day laborer. I wish I'd never found all that treasure. Hardly the case. No, the decision to sell it all is one that you won't look back on with regret because Jesus' rule in your life really is worth all that you have. Sell it all and buy the field. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give, just for a moment of silence, I want to give you an opportunity to talk to God, see if there isn't some area of your life that you want to hand over to him. Jesus is more than an accessory to our lives. He's king. He rules over the whole thing, and no one could rule over it better. And so in just a moment, I'll give, you, I'll give you time to talk with God. And maybe there's something that you just want to say, Lord, I want you to take this area of my life and I want you to run it. And the thing I'd encourage you is if you make a decision like that tonight, you should tell somebody before you go to bed tonight because it's really easy to sit on those things and then tomorrow you're just going to think, was that at 180 or did I dream that? No, you should, you should tell somebody about it, okay? So let me take a moment and pray for you. Father, we are grateful for your rule and for your reign, for your kingdom, because we know you are good. We know that you can run our lives better than we can. And so, Father, we submit our lives to your lordship, to your reign, to your rule. We want you to be in control of every area of our lives. And God, we repent of the times when we make you out to be an accessory. Thank you that you love us enough that you won't just sit idly by, disengaged, but that you want to, you want to lead us and guide us and take control of our lives. And so, Lord, we take a moment now and hand areas of our life over to you. Father, as we move into a time of worship, we want to continue to give you control of our lives. We want to continue to surrender things to you. I pray that your spirit would help us to do that. Lord, I pray that we would experience the joy of giving areas of our lives over to you. Would you reign supreme in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.